Welcome to season two of the Pines and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. This show understands that there is quite a bit of diversity amongst the body of Christ. So we operate according to the motto that certain things are fixed, like the essentials of faith, and the best beer is served on tap, while everything else is just a matter of perspective. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Pints and Perspectives. Or, as I pointed out, uh, one, two pods ago, two peas, one pod. Yeah, or the Adam and Cullen show, as nah. you affectionately gave us a, 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 a uh, intro theme song. As, as much as we love ourselves, we probably shouldn't name it after ourselves. I don't think so. Yeah, no. I, I think the name is going to stay Pints and Perspectives. Cool, cool, cool. Not trying to take too much creative license here. That's right. Um Anyways, so when I went to go buy beer, uh, Adam just raved about Stone Brewing. Uh, Come on, somebody. In the first episode. So I bought a Stone... Variety pack. Variety pack. So we got two Stone IPAs today. Get it. Uh, when I was real Christian and <laughs> I, and I would drink Stone, I would feel a little bit bad about it. Because Why? Stone originally, like the whole like beer in cans thing, like... When I was really into beer, cans were not that cool. Everything was in glass bottles. Right. And Stone's logo is a big demon. And all their beer kind of has this like demonic theme. And when you open their bottles, all their bottle caps have different demons on top of them. So I felt like real, I was a real edgy Christian because I drank demon beer. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Stone IPA or Stone in general. That is so funny. Yeah. Um, So I have one that's called the Delicious Delicious IPA. It's 7.7 ABV. That is literally all I know about. There's it. nothing else on the can. I was like, what is this? So we didn't do any Googling either. Nope. This is a fly by the seat of our pants. I sure hope it's delicious. Otherwise, that's it's a liar. Uh, yeah, it's a tall order. It better be delicious. Yeah. I'm working with a FML. No, not that FML, friends. Fear Movie Lions. Hazy double IPA uh eight Fear movie lion <clears throat> yeah three different what's interesting is you should google this can because it's fear period movie period lions no punctuation hazy double ipa still no punctuation uh it's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume it is uh made with mosaic hops and laurel hops and the flavor notes i it says i should expect tropical punch berry and peach those hazy double IPAs doing too much, but we'll find out. We'll see. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Try to do it nice and slow. Oh. Okay, this is incredible. You go first. I went first last time, I think. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it tastes like a drink. I drank grass, which is what I want IPAs to taste like. It tastes So <clears throat> your definition of delicious is grass flavor. Okay, cool, cool. <clears throat> well, I mean, I did grow up country, farmer, ranching. You're not a cow. No, but, you know, grass you never nobody. Okay, well, I like the smell of fresh cut grass. That's what it tastes like, kind of. Cool. A little more floral. Um, Destiny has some, definitely has some West Coast hop vibes. Uh-huh. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's just like for me, it's just a standard like IPA, six point. It's a single. It's a single IPA. Yeah, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, it it doesn't say. Well, double. that's true. It doesn't <laughs> really doesn't give you a lot to expect. Yeah, what'd you get? You gave it a rating. What was it? Six point eight. Just my average. Like, oh, what yeah, a middle good of the beer is. Uh, this hazy double IPA. I would. Uh, there's a. There was a part of me that was like, "Ooh, I want to pour this in a glass." But um, well, go get one. No, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's very malty. That's the double there. Um, so the sweet. It's got. Tons of hops, which you got to love, but the hops is a little bit overpowered by the malt. Uh, but it being a hazy double, it's true. Uh, you know, that's what you're looking for, I guess. And that's real nice. I don't, they say tropical punch, berry and peach, uh, whatever. I don't know. It, it's, it's, I guess the peach is there. Sometimes I feel like they just write things on cans. I don't know. <laughs> that's just me. I'm sure, I'm sure like whatever the beer version of a sommelier is would, you know, tell me I'm a heretic and I'm wrong, but Great beer. I'm going to give it a 7.2, even though I think the point system shouldn't be in decimals. Attaboy. Attaboy. I'm glad. Thank you for embracing it. You know, I won't ever do it again. I won't ever do it again. Of course not. You rebel. Uh, (laughs) Okay. It's a great beer. I should say that. FML. Let's talk about death. What a transition. Artless. Or artful. It's up to you, viewer. What do you think? Comment below, like and subscribe, share. Did you? You're a great plug. Yeah. Come on, man. You're a fantastic addition. Let's talk about death uh, now. Let's talk about death. You got any thoughts on death? Well, uh, being someone who hasn't experienced it yet, I'm uniquely unqualified to speak on it. Perhaps it's true. Who is qualified to speak on death? Morticians, I guess Christians. We talk about it a lot. We do. We do, and it. It makes sense. Well, actually, to be fair, most Christians don't talk about death that's enough. A good point. That's a good point. I spent a lot of times early years in ministry trying to convince people that they weren't actually presenting the gospel when they left out the fact that G or I spent a lot of time trying to convince them that they were not giving a good presentation of the gospel when Jesus died on the cross for their sins. Because why can a dead dude offer me life? Well, okay, so you're right. This is the age-old battle, right? What's more important, his death or his resurrection? Which, the way in which you answer that, you are answering the question, is death the enemy or sin the enemy? Okay, so let's talk about this concept of death being the enemy. Okay, wait, hold on. So which do you pick, sin or death? Oh, death, 1,000%. Sin's not the enemy, death is the enemy. Sin is the thing that brings about death into the world. Okay, right, which we I think we established on the last episode, or one yeah. of the two episodes. Um, so what do you mean by that? What do we mean when we say that death is the enemy? Because that is a metaphor. Well, yeah, we'll probably look at Romans and Oh, we death, have to open the Bible? Well, I probably will. You don't have to. <laughs> yeah, I'm just um, kidding. FML. It's the, it's the beer. It's <laughs> the beer. It's the name of the beer. So, yeah, I, I think that death, when I talk about it, what I mean is that if a person is that if human flourishing and the way I, in which I define human flourishing is an individual experiencing life and liberation okay. um, in pursuit of divine likeness, okay. according to the message of Jesus. Oh, so you have as, to consciously pursue divine likeness to nope, be living? Everybody's always doing it. Okay. The question okay. is whether or not they're doing it appropriately or inappropriately. Oh. 
Okay, who gets to determine appropriate versus inappropriate? Anyway, sorry, God. go ahead. God. Okay, so when human flourishing, keep going, sorry. Yeah, so if human flourishing is the end goal for every person, and the avenue of human flourishing is life and liberation, okay. then death is anything that interjects in that journey. Okay, such as? Give me an example. Well, literal murder. Like, that would be one. Okay. That is death. Um, so another one is, I would also say, relational death. So what divorces, okay, okay, breakups, okay. sure, yeah, just friendships that um, go, you know, family, okay, you no, know, um, but wouldn't you disownments? say, but wouldn't you say some relationship death is a good thing? Yes. So but how is it the enemy? Because I would, oh, well, no, not in that way. Because I would say that's liberation. There are relationships that are experiences of death, and breaking off those are experiences of liberation. So sometimes death is the enemy and sometimes it's liberation. How do you know when, which is which? And why would we refer to something that's liberating as also the enemy? We're not. We're referring to human flourishing and there are relationships that are holding people captive <laughs> and ending that relationship is liberation. It's not death. Okay. At that point, it's a categorically different thing because it's bringing about human flourishing, okay. not limiting human flourishing. Okay. Whereas biological death is the enemy then yeah. and not liberation? Well, liberation would never be the enemy. Okay. So when we talk about relational death, we're really talking about liberation. But when we're talking about death as the enemy. Well, no. When I'm talking about relational death, I'm, all, I'm talking about divorces. Mm -hmm. but I'm talking about literally like tragic deaths and ends to relationships. But you're saying that that is liberation and not the no, enemy. No, I am saying that is death. I am saying that is death. But what I'm saying is. It can be both and. No. That situation <laughs> cannot be both and. Okay. But okay. relationships that end can be both in. So a divorce mm. is an experience of death, but a relationship between a, excuse my language, pimp and his woman, yeah. that is not death when that ends. That's liberation when okay. that ends. Okay, okay, okay. Well, let's go back to biological death because okay. when you use death in those scenarios, again, it's metaphorizing death. Correct. Okay. But I do think physical death is the premier common enemy that the Christian story is fighting against. Got it. So how do we take into the account... So here's my struggle with that. So I always used to think and believe that death was the ultimate enemy, right? Like, so sin creates death. Death was uh, never intended by God in, the, in his creation of humanity. Well, in his creation of Everything. the, of of the, the earth, world. of the world, of the cosmos. Um, but... Death was never in originally intended to be a part of the cosmos, a part of the created order. And it comes in as a result of human rebellion, a relationship, death with God, perhaps, if we want to continue with that metaphor. And then, um, then, then we get like the Genesis account where like death enters because of sin. And then like now, I think we went through it on the last episode. Like, well, now, you know, women have pain and childbirth yep, yep, and you know, toiling three. and yep. all that kind of stuff. Um, and then like actual physical biological death of the human being. Yep. The problem I have with that belief structure now is when you look at science, well, when you look at creation, so Cullen lives in a place to where this window on my right hand side of where I'm sitting right now actually looks off into just a bunch of like unruly nature. It's a creek. It's a creek, and you wouldn't call it woods, but, like, it's a bunch of trees, and, like, there's a lot of growth. I have no back neighbors. Yeah, yeah there's nobody behind him. It's natural. It's just natural environment for as far as my eyeball can see. 
there for that to flourish and it is flourishing but for that to constantly flourish and renew death is necessitated no reciprocity is necessitated explain okay so onyx wants to take this he role. always does he when clayton films he like sits in clayton's lap for half the episodes All right um so what i mean by reciprocity is for instance, let's do it this way. You know Ruach and Numa, mm -hmm. and the ways in which those manifest are wind, breath, spirit, just general That's what existence. the words mean. Yeah, yeah, that's what they mean. Um, and that is where we begin to get the idea of God's omnipresence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this omnipresence, like... When people come at me about having problems with the Omnis, I'm like, go ahead, have problems with the Omnis. I, I got qualms with the Omnis. You can't have one with omnipresence. Okay. You can't have one. God's, God's everywhere. You're a pantheist. I'm a panentheist. I'm not a pantheist. <laughs> um, God is in everything. God is not everything. Sure. Okay. Um, so anyways, in this world that God has created, um, I believe... 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed. But when you look that word up, God-breathed, it's a made-up word. Yeah. Whoever wrote 2 Timothy made that word up. New mud. So, yeah, so how do, we, how do we figure out what that means? Well, I don't think it's a bunch of white dudes in 1970, <laughs> educated, getting together and writing a thing called the Chicago Statement on Inerrancy and making that their proof text. Ding! Shots fired. That's stupid. <laughs> uh, the real way we should define that word is probably what the author was trying to tell us that word meant. Which is what? Maybe the first time we ever saw God breathe into anything could be a good indication. Humans. Humans. Perfectly imperfect. God breathing in them did not make them perfect forever. Sure. Like, so why did we naturally think that meant the Bible was perfect forever? But wait, but wait, wasn't the in original intention for them to live perfectly without death when he breathed into them? Sure. <clears throat> but then but, they got corrupted. Well, yes. And that's the language I need you to use is corrupted. Okay. Because... The Bible is not clear, and Jewish tradition is not clear about how to interpret Genesis 1 and 2. Sure. There's a lot of moving parts in there. We, we mass Christians, have been taught that God created ex nihilo right. because somebody read the book of Isaiah, Okay. and Isaiah says that God, read, God created the world ex nihilo. Out of nothing, for those of you who don't just like know Latin phrases. True. Apologies. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so us, we all adopted that as like, oh, that's the only thought about God's creation account. Yeah. And it's not. So it's not. Mm. The Talmud, the Jewish Talmud, which if you didn't know, the Talmud is a collection of contemporary writings to the time of the Old Testament yeah. and interpreters after the Old Testament that are Jewish scholars right. writing commentaries on the scriptures. Right. In the Talmud, and it's considered authoritative in some Jewish uh, it, faith traditions. It is. Yeah. In the Talmud, there are writings where commentators are commenting on creation, and they do not think God created ex nihilo. They think God happened upon matter because I believe it's in verse six. The first thing God creates is light. God lights up the world so that they can see. Okay. what they've uh, happened upon. Okay. The next thing that God does, the next action that God takes, the text says, 
that God created land to separate the waters. Mm-hmm. Where the hell did that water come from? God did not make that water. The world is 70, the earth is 70% water. Ancient Jewish scholars commenting on it, they took it and they took it to mean that God, from God's onset into the world, God created order out of chaos because Jews, as you well know, don't like the sea. They don't like to sail. They don't like being in boats. The sea is unpredictable. You mean mean ancient, ancient Jews. Yes, yes, yes. Apologies. Yes. Ancient (laughs) Jews. The biblical Jews. First century Jewish culture. This is why they partner with the Phoenicians, with Solomon, and he's doing these carriage. Yeah, like all of that. This is why the cedars of Lebanon were such a big deal because they made Phoenician ships. Anyways, this is true. And this is also why the book of Jonah is a, is easily interpreted uh, metaphorically because Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish, mm-hmm. right? In chaotic waters off of a boat, mm-hmm. he gets swallowed up by a big fish. And what does the book of Jonah say? That Jonah was vomited up by that fish on dry land. You mm-hmm. think that big ass fish went all the way up to dry land close enough to vomit him up to go back into the deep sea. I got to be honest. That's not the part of the story that trips me up the most, but well, uh, sure, go ahead. But it's because it's a metaphorical telling that Noah was an uncertain Jonah. Jonah was in uncertain waters, uncertain unknowns, chaos, and then was placed safely on dry land. Okay. And so if you take that, that it's about corruption, that the world was corrupted and that God's perfect creation was corruptible, then God didn't actually, you know, it was just natural. God became an orderer of chaos, a restorer from the beginning of God's onset. So God happened upon matter. Well, that's one way of reading it. It's God, not the only way. You God can also do the ex nihilo. God way. didn't create the waters. I don't think God created the waters. How did the waters come to be? Some scientific process. Evolution. Yeah. Yeah. However, uh, yeah. So God was somewhere else, or he like waited till they. You know, they waited till 70 billion years after the scientific process called Earth. Oh no! Occurred and I'm then not, they came and did creation. No, but see, why are you trying to make the Bible have conversations it ain't trying to have? The Bible's telling you narrative truth okay. about God. Why are you trying to make it have a scientific conversation it didn't even know could possibly exist? Well, because the question I'm trying to answer is: Is a scientific process the enemy? No. Death is a scientific process that you've defined as the enemy. As reciprocity. Okay, wait. Okay, because, go okay, back look, to reciprocity. Yeah, I need to go back to reciprocity. Sorry. Golly, look at you. Okay. So <laughs> bring back Clayton. <laughs> reciprocity in that the plants need us to live. How how and do we they, need them? Correct. Reciprocity. Reciprocity of life. Of yes. life. Yes. You don't take life. Nothing died. As a holistic being, nothing ceased to exist, but there was a reciprocity of life in us taking plants. Because remember, not stop, because the first (laughs) thing God ever did after the curse, Uh 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 God was the first one to commit death. He He killed Cain. No. No. Uh, uh, wait. No. Wait. Yes. Who? God killed animals in order to make them loincloths to cover them That's what in their nakedness. They took fig leaves. So, they were not allowed to commit death. Death was not allowed to be in the world. But so there was the source enough. of death is God Himself. No. The source of the source Come of death on. is sin. 
That's what God told them. But God did it. You no. just said he was the first person to commit death. No, but that yes, but they brought oh. about death. That is that is not sense we, making. We are commanded to be like God. Okay. God then Make gives death. us God then gives us permission to eat animals because now we got a real problem. An overpopulation of animal herds is a very real problem. If you And you need them to die. Because so sin, how is it the enemy? Because sin brought about death. Sin is the thing that was never supposed to happen. Death is the result of that thing, and death has changed things. So hypothetically, if rebellion and corruption had not entered the creative order, we would all be vegetarians. There would be no death in the world. And so, how do you not have overpopulation of species? That's a great question. I don't know because you need death. No, that's how you're understanding it now because you okay, are okay, having conver modern conversations. Fair. Well, that's all I'm capable of having. Okay, but you got to stop making the Bible try to have those conversations alongside you. It's not having those conversations, and you know it. What conversation is it having on the topic of death? It is having a conversation that death is the enemy. But which death? All of death. Paul metaphorizes and personifies death. So how are allowed you, to do that sorry, too? This is getting cyclical, and I apologize for the listeners. But the question is, I want to go back to the original question. What do we mean by the enemy? Because an enemy is something that I want to either, well, I, I want to resist and I want to mitigate against, right? Correct. So, but I, but I literally cannot. What I mean when I say death is the enemy, I mean that the Bible is one story that our tradition is trying to tell in its own beautiful ways. And the enemy, the antagonist of that story is death. The protagonist is Jesus. The climax is Jesus's conquering of that enemy. And the end site is Revelation 21 and 22. Where death will be no more. Correct. So when I say enemy, I mean antagonist of the story. It's the so one that again, God told me to be against in Genesis yeah, 2. So again, there, though, we're talking about a metaphor of death. not well, like Only a, because Paul gave us permission to do that in yeah, Romans. No, I hear you. I mean, that, I think that's the primary voice with which the scriptures speak about death is in the context of metaphor. I mean, there is like the literal execution of Jesus. Right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are literal deaths, right? That... that um, are, but, but okay. So here's the point though, but like the metaphor of death is the enemy. And I guess we're going to spiritualize that metaphor and make it like Satan or demons or no, what sin or, I mean, you, yeah, you can, if you want, you, I don't think you have to, but yeah, you can. So, okay, let's back up. Would you say that biological death of, uh, of that Oak tree is the enemy? That oak tree is going to die. In fact, parts of it are dying currently right? And so I that it can say, flourish. Is that the work of the enemy? I would say that the way in which we understand nature today mm -hmm. exists as a product. Because remember in the curses, mm -hmm. the ground will now bear thorns and thistles. Mm -hmm. The created order itself has been impacted by death mm -hmm. entering the world. And so the way it exists today is not what it was supposed to do. But it is the way it exists today because we shouldn't have thorns and thistles and ants and carpenter bees and woodpeckers and termites and all that kind but of But I stuff. feel like if I make something my enemy, that I have no power to... My enemy that I also like need... It's like two... 
it's too um, ethereal. It's not, and maybe this is my personal hangup that maybe nobody else is having. Um, but I have the microphone, so um, so true. Because like I don't know that causes me anxiety and stress. What does that? I have this enemy that I can do nothing to resist against. You already have it. You already have that in me. Every person you know is headed to death. Exactly, which is why maybe it's just part of life and not the enemy. Oh, no, 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 because that is at least what the scriptures are trying to communicate is that Jesus is resurrection over death. How do you accept your own death? How do Okay, look, I was a pastor, and one of the things that was so difficult pastoring people who don't sit around and have the long theological conversations on cameras with fancy beer. Yeah. Fair. God, we are so white. We, we, when people don't have that luxury, right. They're really spending a lot of their time and energy avoid avoiding death. Yeah. Uh, uh, Avoiding, avoiding thoughts of death, avoiding like literally like ensuring themselves, you know, like financially and structurally like against death. Yeah. But primarily we don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it because we, and why? Because we know that it is coming. There are only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. Um, It was a joke. (laughs) So (laughs) unless you live in anyways, um, we all know we're going to die. We are all faced with death on a daily basis. We all commit death on a daily basis. I'm literally murdering all sorts of living things with my very existence, even my breathing, my moving, my stepping, everything that I do, my eating, my drinking, we're killing things. Life is uh, life and death are these like yin and yang things that exist together all the time and we are going to die. But the problem in pastoring was when you get to that moment of death, Everybody's been living in denial about death for so long that we literally don't even know how to handle death. And we do all these weird, wacky, um, uh, like coping things, but not in healthy coping ways. And like all of these like diversions, like we won't even use the word death. We'll say, well, they passed on. Yeah. Or they've gone on to the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, we, we we won't even use the actual words because we're so scared of it and so unfamiliar with it because we're constantly living in the denial that we're going to experience it. So here's but that's what, a unique American problem. Okay, 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 great, exactly. It's because Americans so here, are avoidant of all of our problems. Okay, so here's what I'm getting to. You're, you're, you're preaching my sermon for me, my brother. So what I'm saying is... That is wrong, everything I've just described. That is unhealthy, and I think it creates all sorts of depression and anxiety and mental health issues and relational issues. So I want to look my death in the face. Yes. And I want to say, you're coming, and I accept that reality. Yeah, go ahead. So, but if it's my, if, but if my faith and if my religious tradition and my sacred text tells me that it's the enemy, how do I accept its existence in my life, in the life of my loved ones, and in my community? How do I make peace with my enemy? That book you brought. How do I make peace with my enemy? That book you brought. Which bro- which Surprise book? my hope. Which book? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I brought a stack of books. Okay. So why this book, Cullen? Because it's about hope. So this is a book by N.T. Wright. It's Surprised by Hope. Uh, I'm sure you, you know, if you don't know who N.T. Wright is, Google him. Uh, Tom Wright, as we affectionately like to call him by his real name. Uh, Rethinking Heaven and the Resurrection. Actually, his real name is Nicholas Thomas Wright. Okay. The, um, the Bishop Tom of Canterbury. Wright, no, not Canterbury. Tom Wright is his popular level 
writing name and N.T. Wright is his academic writing I didn't know you and Nicholas were so close. Well, I have had dinner with him. So have I. Um, <laughs> Probably because we have the same connect to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> it's so true. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, why? What? what yeah, tell, it's tell, hope. It's about hope. Hope this world, This world is the broken world. Hope for Revelation 21 and 22. Hope that Jesus has the power to write this bullshit. Escapism. No, not escapism, because I don't think we're going away. I think he's coming back here. But I gotta but I'm gonna die still. That doesn't do anything for me facing my own death. Only if you're still under the assumption that there's nothing for eternity. After death. That is the series. Yeah. Well, I think that's where we're going next, isn't it? <laughs> See you on the next one. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.